welcome everyone to Authors on the Air. I'm your host, Pam Stack. Uh, I'm also a book junkie and a cat wrangler, for those who don't know me. Um, my guest today is my friend, Alan Eskins, who has just finished writing his ninth book and is starting on his 10th. Now, Alan and I go back, I think, almost to your first book, the first time we spoke. It's been a while. So, yeah. and we bumped into each other at VoucherCon. It was wonderful. And I hadn't talked to you. So you said, let's talk. And I said, okay, let's talk. How have you been doing? I've been doing very well. Um, the, the, the whole lockdown thing turns out my life as a, as a writer really isn't much different than lockdown. I sit in my basement, I type, uh, don't really see people and uh, that worked out okay. It's, it's all the same, right? <laughs> yeah, it's yeah. all the same. Yeah, no, nothing much changes. Well, I'm glad I got to see you this year. Um, uh, so let's talk about your very first book. Do you have that copy with you? Do you have your very first books? Because it's in my if library. Student, and... grab it. I'm sorry. Yeah, get it for I'll me. I grab it. Here I am. Okay, so. Oh, you got all of them. Good. So let me see your first book. Hold, uh, first hold book, a little the closer. The Life We Bury. The Life We Bury. Okay. I want to just kind of go back and see, thank you, um, and talk to you about your first book and how long had it been percolating with you? Okay, that's a good question because The Life We Bury wasn't the first book I wrote. It was okay. the first one I got published. Published, okay. The first book I wrote, actually, I spent 20 years working on it. Um, I was practicing law and I loved writing. I loved the, you know, telling stories in my head. And then I, I, I was learning the process, the craft of taking it from my head and putting it on paper. And so that became my first manuscript. Uh, and it became my sixth novel, Nothing More Dangerous. So um, I worked on Nothing More Dangerous for, you know, like I said, 20 years. And it was a learning process. I was learning how to write and it was fun and it wasn't ready. So I put it aside. And I had this idea for another book. So I wrote The Life We Bury. And that became the first one I got published. I think that's amazing. Um, I, You know, my brother's an attorney. There are so many writers who, are, who are, were practicing attorneys. I don't know if you still practice or not, or if you said bye-bye to that, because that's a long day of work when you're an attorney in practice. Um, how did you work in time to write? Because when you're doing billable hours, I mean, isn't it like by seven, every seven minutes or something of work you do, your billable hours are going. So one, how did you find the time? And two, when you write briefs, they're very to the point. There's no background or anything as far as the color of the room was white when this, you know, whatever, you're, whatever it is you're writing a brief for. How, what did that teach you about writing? So one, how were you able to do it? And two, yep. what did lawyering teach you about writing? Okay. So um, I was able to do it because it was what I did for fun. So I would get off work. I would come home, um, spend time with, with my daughter when she in bed. I would sit down and write just because I enjoyed writing. Um, when I had spare time, I would go to conferences or, or, you know, like the Iowa Summer Writers Festival, uh, the Loft Literary Center, I'd take classes. Uh, I was reading books on how to write, just, you know, working on, on the craft in my spare time, because I never really thought at that point that I was going to be a published author that was going to make a living at this. I thought I was just going to improve my skills so that I would enjoy writing for myself 
more. And that was really what it was all about. So I would go to work. I'd work from, you know, eight until five. I would, you know, that was dedicated time for practicing law. Um, I didn't want to give short shrift to my clients. But when eight, when five o'clock hit, I went home, you know, spent family time, did my writing. And I, like I said, I did that for 20 years. And uh, when I finally got published and I wanted to publish more books, now it became hard because I was under a time crunch. I, you know, before the life where Barry hit store shelves, I had a three book deal for one of the characters from the life where Barry named Max Rupert. And so for the next few years, it was work, writing, work, writing, and those two things. Um, and by that point, you know, my daughter was off to college. And so it was easy for me to, you know, I come home from the office and I go straight to writing. And I did that for until 2017 when I retired from the practice of law and became a full-time writer. How amazing. Yeah. Had Second it been question. your dream to be a, a, a published author? It, it, it was kind of in the back of my head. It's like, wouldn't that be cool someday? It was more of a bucket list thing uh, right. until the life where Barry got published. Then it was, this is really fun and cool. I want to do it more. Um, wow. And that that's when I, uh, I went into it with more deliberation. You know, I, I, I set up timetables. Okay. I want to have this book done by this date. And so I need to, you know, stay on schedule. And it, it became, you know, kind of a job. Uh, after I retired from the practice of law, it was quite easy to, you know, relax, slow down my pace. Um, you know, if I, if I do a thousand words a day, I have a first draft done in three to four months. Um, That's and then fantastic. I can, then I can edit it. So, do you work well on a timeline? So if your editor says, I need your book by this time, are you okay with that? Because sometimes the law, it depends on what type of law you practice, will say, okay, you have to have your briefs in here. You have to appear in court here. And oh, no, we're going to move it back and shuffle it over and all. I mean, my brother is a litigator, corporate litigator. So he's got cases that are going on for five years. So I don't think a timeline matters for him so much. But how is it for you? Are you good with working with a time on a deadline? I've always been one who self-imposes deadlines. Ah. Uh, so, you know, I, I in my younger years I was a procrastinator and I was, you know, a little more laid back with my time. But when I became a lawyer, an attorney, I I made a point to be very you know, diligent with my timelines, and especially when I was writing and practicing law both. I was on strict, you know, okay, you got to do a thousand words a day, that done, move on. And, and so my editors really don't put pressure on me as much as I put pressure on me. So my, the novel I'm writing right now, it's not due to the publisher until December. I will probably have the first draft done in April. And then between April and December, I will revise it and spend time with it and doing what I need to do to make it as good as, as I can make it. So speaking of making it as good, um, I hear a lot of different methods that writers use to ensure that their story sounds authentic with dialogue, that there's continuity in the story. And one of the things they do is they ask someone to read their book out loud to them. So the writer listens while someone reads the book. And another one, of course, is the writer reads each chapter out loud. Obviously it's, you know, tickling different parts of your brain and everything. What is your trick or what method do you use, even if it's a trick, um, to make sure that 
your writing sounds authentic, that the voices are what you would hear every day conversation versus strictly English, the language that you learn when you're in an English composition class. Yeah, so the first revision is I do it on computer. Um, the first two or three revisions I'm doing on computer. When I feel it's pretty close, I will then print it up and I'll read it on paper because somehow reading it on paper, it's different than reading it on a computer. Mm -hmm. And I will also then, when I'm done with that draft, I will then read it out loud to myself. Um, I wow. don't have somebody else read it because it, if somebody else reads it, their emphasis isn't going to how I hear it in my own head. Um, it may be a good thing to do, but uh, I just don't. I No one reads my work until I'm ready for it to be read. So, so which way uh, because, is yes, the most effective way for you to edit? Reading it out loud is different. Right, it is. So which do you find Harvey? more effective? Which do you find more effective in picking up changes that you want to make? Reading it from print or when you read it? out loud to yourself? Um, reading it from print, I pick up more of the the prose. I read it to myself, I pick up more on the dialogue, if that makes sense. Yeah, uh, it does make sense, so actually. When I'm, when, I, when I'm reading it to myself, uh, I will catch things, for example, in one of my books, I had a character named Thaddeus. And so as I'm typing, and it would be a possessive, or, you know, you know, Thaddeus is right. And it wasn't until I read it out loud that that extra syllable really bothered me. So it was, instead of being Thaddeus is, you know, so I, I renamed him Alexander. So it's Alexander's and add the extra syllable and just reading oh, it out loud you. made that in my head come out, come alive. Yeah. It's a tongue twister. And <laughs> I see what you mean. It's a speed bump yeah. for some readers. I will tell you. Um, is there a particular author that you like that you'd like to emulate? Not their style, because you can't. You can only write your own story. But who is someone that you really look at as a really great storyteller? I, I think Dennis Lehane is at the top of my list. Um, who I got to meet at Patricon. Right. Uh, he's at the top of my list because up until I read Mystic River. I plan on not being a mystery writer. Uh, I was really? an attorney. I didn't want to be known as just another attorney who wrote mysteries. But then I read Mystic River and I saw the character drive of that of that story and how really the mystery wasn't the centerpiece. It was the characters. And I love that. Right. Uh, and, the, and the deeper themes. And, and I thought that's, I can do that. I, I can write mysteries, but uh, in my mysteries, it's going to be a character story. Um, somebody describe my work as a Trojan horse in that the mystery genre is the horse, but once you get into it, it's the people inside that are what's important. Right. Right. Um, and so when I'm, when I'm contemplating a story, when I'm outlining a story, I will spend a lot of time on, let's just put the mystery aside. What's the story really about, you know, the, the dynamics of the people, what's the, what's the themes that I want to really address? For example, uh, Saving Emma, which comes out in September, uh, it's on. So the mystery aspect of it is Bodhi Sandin is a law professor. He works, you know, as a part, part time for the Innocence Project. He gets a case where his client is uh, in a mental hospital, um, having been found not guilty by reason of insanity, 
for the murder of a mega church pastor. So there's the mystery. Did this guy, Elijah, did he commit the crime or not? But then there's this another level to the story of Bodhi dealing with his his ward, his his um the, this this 14-year-old girl that he is taking care of. And Bodhi's struggle with coming to understand his relationship with that young lady. And then there's another level of the conversations between Bodhi, who is an agnostic slash atheist, talking to this man who thinks he's a prophet and the discussions back and forth that have a religious nature to him. Uh, so, yeah, there is a mystery here. And, you know, it's, it's a really fun mystery. It's, it's probably my most Agatha Christie style uh, mystery so far. Um, but it's the other aspects of the story that I that draw me to in stories. You have to, I think, as a reader, we have to connect with your characters that you're creating. So when you're starting, because I have to have a feeling, not just a nothing, when I'm reading characters, whether they're considered the protagonist or the antagonist, whether they're labeled good or bad. To me, there's always a little bit of each <laughs> in all characters, unless mm -hmm. you're talking about someone like a serial killer. And even then, you can almost, you know, almost think what happened that turned him like that. So when you are thinking about writing, are you thinking about a character first or are you thinking about the story and then developing the character to wrap it around? Um. So my style of writing is a little different from most. So I wrote The Life We Bury, and I really loved the characters that I created in that novel. So I then took those four characters, four main characters from The Life We Bury, and I did story arcs for them. So oh. Max Rupert has a four-book story arc for his character. Uh, uh, Joe Talbert, who is the main character in The Life We Bury, has a three-book arc for him and his girlfriend, Lila. Um, Bodhi Sandin who's got a minor part in that in that novel he's got now his third book for his arc so i've brought these characters in the in these arcs and so i have the characters already and what i do is i, I think okay what would be an interesting story to tell what would i enjoy reading and then the question is does one of my characters have the ability to tell this story now so far that has been the case so book nine saving emma is Bodhi sandin's story um but book 10 I, I had an idea for a story that I really wanted to tell. And it started with a character and that character was not any character I'd written about. So book 10, which is untitled at this point, uh, it is completely different from all my other books in terms of it's, it's a story of a librarian, a middle-aged librarian here in Minnesota, quiet, you know, woman who just doesn't stand out who has this extraordinary history that nobody knows about. Uh, and the, the, the history takes us back to Bosnia in 1995 and the, the Balkan wow. Wars. Um, and I'm just having such a fun time. I, I, I enjoy writing all my novels. So when I'm, you know, when I'm writing a novel, it's like, I really enjoy doing this. Um, are you, are you a big research dude? Very much so. Are you? Yeah. yeah. It, it's important to me to have, authenticity in my story so for example my my character in the in the novel i'm writing now 
she grew up in Bosnia. She's 17 years old in 1995. I don't know the world of a 17 year old girl in Bosnia in 1995, a Muslim girl at that. Uh, so I found actually a professor um, at the University of Minnesota who is helping me to make sure that my story is authentic. Um, I'm doing research, you know, in terms of I understand the, the Balkan Wars better than I ever thought I would. Uh, I, I'm understanding, you know, the, the po politics of it, the uniform, the landscape. Um, wow. But having someone there, I can ask questions of, for example, what would a young girl call her father? You know, pop, dad, and the answer is Bebo. And so I, I'm able to use that in my book. Interesting. Even the little things like that make a big difference in lend it authenticity. So um, you're doing a standalone now. Do you like doing series or do you prefer a standalone? Well, I, I don't really think that I do series. Because I do connect to characters and I do like character arcs. So, for example, there's a three book arc from Max Rupert, The Guys of Another, The Heavens May Fall, The Deep Dark Descending. During that arc, he goes from being a man with a strong moral compass in the first book to a man questioning that moral compass in the second book to a man who has given up that moral compass in the third book. So th there's an arc for his character that stretches over the three books. Um, that's what I enjoy. Uh, what I, what I don't think I would be able to do is your, your normal detective series of a detective going from book to book to book, solving crimes, because I really want to put my characters, my protagonists through a rough time. I want to put them through. A I understand what you're saying. Each book. And have, and, and have repercussions have... for it. Yeah. They, they have to have a repercussion for whatever it yeah. is they do versus just coming up in the next book and, you know, right. dusting themselves off and starting all over again. It's, it is kind of an odd thing. I like some series, but not enough to read more than four or five books in it. And I, I have to just stop because it, unless it's someone who's a master of storytelling and there are very few who are masters of storytelling, I'm really not interested in, continuing on to the next adventure without seeing a change in personality. Um, you know, I don't want everybody killed right. off <laughs> then, you know, and then kill the next person off all the guy's friends. Somebody's, you know, like an An Angela Lansbury murder. She wrote thing, you know, someone's always getting what knocked off. I, I don't like that because it's almost feels predictable. And if you're writing a predictable book to someone like me who, who reads 400 books a year, I I'm insulted by that. Well, and one of the keys to tension is, number one, you make your character relatable to the reader. So once your reader hacked in and can relate and feel what the protagonist is feeling, you have to have uncertainty. If you don't have uncertainty, then the reader's going to know, yeah, this character is going to survive this car. He's going to survive the fight. He's going to survive whatever is happening because he's going to be in the next book. Um, right. And I have killed off protagonists before. So right. I, I don't want people to to feel that I was reading a very famous author who wrote a series. And as I'm reading, I'm thinking, you know, I this guy's gonna get he's in a fight. I know he's gonna win the fight. I know he's going to, you know, survive all this stuff because he's gonna be in another book because there's a series. Um right. I, I don't I, I I don't like writing that. I like writing where I could kill off a protagonist and end end a story arc 
um, make some readers mad, but it would it, it would satisfy me at least. I mean, I, well, I, I think it's satisfactory. Readers love that. I mean, I like a, a twist. Now, you know, I read across genre except for horror and historical. Sorry, I just don't read any of those. But um, but I want to be surprised at the end. I want to have a false ending and then the real ending. I want to really not be able to figure it out. And when you read a lot in one genre, you know, you can figure it out. I know I've read a good book. If at the end of the book, I'm going, holy crap, I can't believe that's what happened. You know, I, I'm, I want to be stunned. And because if I'm stunned, I'm left so satisfied by the book. So I hear you exactly what you're saying. Um, you said that Dennis Lehane is a, a favorite of yours. He also is mine. I have his new book, Small Mercies. It's excellent. He will be a guest here within the next few months. Would you like to come back and visit? I'd love to. Okay. How about I turn the microphone over to you for a little while? Uh, to interview Dennis Lehane? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'd be glad to. Okay. Tell everybody we can, where we can find you, your website. I'm sure that has all your contact information. Yes. So uh, you can find my main web website is www.alaneskins.com. Um, you can follow me on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, uh, a lot of different places. Uh, and I, I use social media primarily just to let people know what's next. You know, when I'm doing a book tour, here's where I'm going to be, that kind of thing. So right. I don't really do a lot of you know, personal posting, but I do use it for, you know, just keeping readers and fans aware of what's happening next. That's probably why you're sane, Alan, <laughs> because you well, don't use it for everything else. <laughs> yeah. it, it's a hostile territory out there every so often, but uh, if you're careful, you don't get caught up in, nonsense and you know you can have a pleasant day on social media will you come back when the book comes out yes absolutely yes and it, it comes out september 19th it's available available for pre-order now okay. um who are you published by this time something. who's publishing you uh, now mulholland again so oh, good okay i know i, 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 I know I your publicist then no problem be sure to get a yep. book and send it out to our book review group. I, I want to thank you for coming on and just generally talking about writing. I don't often get a chance to talk to someone who's not in the process of launching a book. So, you know, you and I've met a number of times and have spoken and all, and I, I really appreciate you coming on just to talk about writing and how you create your books. Very important for someone like me who loves to know the story behind the story. So thank you. I appreciate it. My, my pleasure. I'm someone who um, early on, I read a John Gardner quote that said that you either have talent or you don't. And if you don't have talent, you should learn that quickly and st stop the frustration. <laughs> and I was a little offended by that because I don't think I have actual, you know, born. I don't, th I don't think anybody has actual, you know, natural talent for writing. I think it's a craft that you're constantly learning. And so I love talking about the craft of writing because I'm, I will be a student of writing until the day I die or until I, I quit writing. Uh, I'm constantly trying to learn more and more about, you know, the psychology of it and yeah. how it all works. I think that, you know, um, perhaps there is national, national, um, natural born talent, but it has to be nurtured and drawn out. So, and some people will, like me, I will never be able to write a book. 
I can barely get out my front door with my shirt turned out the right way. You know, I, I can't even send emails <laughs> without going through spell check and, and the, everything else. So I am, but I'm a natural born reader and that started very young. So, uh, you know, we're, we're a symbiotic team. You write and I'll read it. And, you know, <laughs> see, I, I can't spell worth crap. I, oh, well, I and, yeah. and grammar, you know, my, my copy editor, the pages come back so red, um, <laughs> but I have good ideas. And I've, like I said, I, I've studied the craft of, you know, how to, to, to create characters, how to create tension, how to, you know, tell stories. And right, that right. is just fun. I want to thank you for being with me. Hold on while I say goodbye to the audience. Thank you for being with me today. Uh, you know, I always give great, great thanks to my mom and dad who supported me through all my crazy audience. Um, you know, you can find us on on uh, all audio platforms and you can find and, and we we archive everything on SoundCloud. So just go to SoundCloud.com. Authors on the air. Thank you for being with me. I'll see you next time.